Shut up and sit down. Everybody, I hope you're having. I hope you had a great week, and I hope you're having an excellent evening. Um, we tried 45 minutes sprinting tonight. I, I don't like it. I'm gonna be up front. I don't like it. Okay, anyways, um, <clears throat> I mean it was productive, but I would have been just as productive if we'd have done six sprints in those three hours instead of three sprints in those three hours. Um, and I wouldn't be sore now. I am. I am kind of sore um, from sitting in this, sitting in the same place. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, I think the twenty minute sprint is is more my style. But I'm gonna try again tomorrow with everybody else just to see. You know, I'm gonna give it a fair shot. Um, Jilly wants to talk about characters. So what we're gonna do? She poked me earlier in the day. I made art-ish. I made art-ish. It was lovely. Um, you made art-ish. You thank you. You didn't come up with a quote. Uh, there, there's a quote. I know. I said you even come up with a quote. Oh, I even come up with a quote. I was like, there is one. <laughs> you don't always have a quote. The quote was new. No, I mean, I've I've done it once before, but that's actually one of my favorite quotes from Hemingway. So um, when when you said that, it immediately popped into my brain. Of course, I was in Kroger, so I had to make a note about it in my notebook so I wouldn't forget. (laughs) Yeah, I I told her a little bit of the Kroger thing as we were talking about this, and she said, I'm at Kroger. I said, well, we could try a whole podcast on Kroger, but we might have to include Safeway in it too because there's no Kroger on the West Coast. But you guys do have their brother, their sister store, whatever that is, because Lady Holder goes to it. Um, um, Albertsons, maybe? They're owned by Cal- no, Cal- Is that it? They're owned by the same company because Lady Holder uses a Kroger app or has a Kroger card or, or something. Kroger owns. Okay, there is there is a Fred Meyer, um, which is we do have those up here. Ralph's Food for Less, but yeah, I don't I don't go to any of those stores. Okay, um, so Fred Meyer is is also Kroger. Is that what that is? Yeah, that that be the one close okay. to me. Maybe Food for Less too. In down towards L.A., they would have Ralph's. Um, I think in the Bay Area it would be food for less. So Kroger's got got something for everybody, basically, is what I'm seeing here. Um, but, yeah, the only thing near me is, I think, Fred Meyer, um, which I don't go to. So we just don't yeah. talk about Safeway. <laughs> I've never been to a Safeway. I did go to an Aldi's for the first time today. Is that how you say that? A-L-D-I? Aldi? That's Aldi? sounds like to me. Aldi. Yeah, I went to an Aldi. Um and um, it's a discount food store, and we, we have and we we got one, and I was like, well, I'm gonna go check it out. Um, and it it wasn't 
it was fine. Um, I wanted they had really good deals on meat and um seafood. Actually, too good of a deal on seafood or meat, and I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's the local the local dollar store selling meat, and I'm like, no, no, man, I ain't doing well, it. I'm not getting ribeye from, from you people. I wouldn't. Not meat. No, I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't buy that from the dollar store. I mean, I'll buy candy from the dollar store, but um, I was like, I don't even. Th- I need to go. I don't think I'd buy anything. I need to go. Actually, I don't think I'd. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I buy candy from dollar store all the time. I ain't gonna lie. I don't. But you I hit don't the movie, candy, so it's, you hit you the know. dollar store. <laughs> you can get the same box of M Ms at the dollar store for a dollar. They charge five bucks for at the movie theater. <laughs> well, that's the truth. It's literally the same box. We we checked one night. It was ridiculous. Anyways, um, I went to all these and it was um, um, it was cool. I mean, it was fine. Uh, it was like um, uh, off brand stuff, you know. I, I and some and some on brand stuff, which I think is probably like overages from other stores. Um, but it, you know, it was it was fine. And I went home. I, I came home and I checked to see what the meat quality was like to see you know, if, if I, I should go back and get some meat. And apparently I should. <laughs> so I'll okay. go back tomorrow and get some meat. So um, that they do, that they have such great deals because of their business model and everything. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be careful when you buy meat. And so um, – and it was very clean. It was a very clean and organized store. So, yeah, I mean, they had a, a salmon. They, they had salmon for like seven forty nine a pound. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> That's just like amazing. Wow. <laughs> but for, for my area, it is. I mean, that's just like stunning. I was like, so I'm glad to go back. Yeah, and their I, uh, cashier yeah, we, was kidding. I was like, holy shit, their cashier has a chair. <laughs> yeah, that's now that's nice. Now, I've never been to that chain, but I, I don't I, – I would not have a problem trying different chains. But I do have, like, major issues about buying meat and fresh produce. So we'd probably, for everybody's sanity, I shouldn't get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I did buy some bananas there. Um, they look really good. And um, but but they're all their produce looked really good. The berries looked really fresh, clean. I mean, it was just it was just a really nice store. Um, I got and this is a this is a girl thing, but I got um, maxi pads for five dollars, name brand. I got really. I I got a whole package of um, always for five bucks. Five bucks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the hmm. same package that I spend nine ninety nine on <laughs> at at Walmart, I got for five dollars. I was like, "Well, let me just put this in my cart." If there had been more than one, I would have got it. But it was the last one in the little box. <laughs> Somebody else had already wow. seen this deal and fucked up. So I was happy to get to get one. Um, to get one box, yes. I mean, you know, one package it was like what? <laughs> and I also got some. Um, I've been wanting some 
sturdy crate, cloth crate to take to uh, to take to Costco. Um, I saw this lady with a pair, and she paid ten dollars a piece for hers. And I thought that's a little ridiculous, right? So I was in Aldi today. I saw the same one with the little handles on the side, and for a dollar a piece. And I was like, well, there you go. So they went in my cart. <laughs> So I had stuff in my cart. <laughs> oh, I also got some of those gold nuggets. Those things you told me about, the Mandarin. Oh, really? Yeah. They were there, and I paid two ninety nine for a three pound bag. Is that good? Holy crap! Very good because they're two ninety nine a pound at my store. Wow. Yeah. I, so I got yeah. a really good deal. Damn. It was just good. I was pleased. But it's also a small store. I thought it'd be bigger. I mean, but it was just kind of small. I like, I kind of like, I have, I like small stores. It's one of the reasons why I don't shop at Fred Meyer is it's a little bit too close to going to Walmart for me. I mean, it, it, I, they position themselves a little bit as a grocery store. They call themselves a super center, right? But they position themselves as a grocery store mostly, so they've got a huge grocery section. But I don't particularly need to buy my groceries at a place that I can also buy a TV. Um, I just, you know, it, it's off-putting. I do tend to buy so, my cereal at Walmart. Walmart always has better prices on cereal. Sometimes the difference is like 2 and $3 a box difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Walmart, the so. milk we get, we can get at Walmart. Like two two fifty cheaper per half gallon to get it at Walmart. Is it Horizon? Is it um, is it Horizon? Because Horizon is cheaper for me at Walmart than it is anywhere else. It's not Horizon. I use a, I use a competitor brand, Horizon. Um, I want to say it's called Open Nature, but it's a pasture raised milk. Um, yeah. The last um, time. I think. I think I've I've gotten that before. It wasn't my favorite. But I'm particular about milk, especially milk oh, yeah, that has um, omega three in it. There, the, I do like Horizons omega three milk, but I like um, Open Nature's better. Um, but yeah, it, it's my market. It's the market by me. It's eight dollars a half gallon. That is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like um, so that's I like one of the few things Horizon that Walmart for, me for is like, milk. Horizon, I can get for like four twenty-five at Walmart. Yeah, it's I think like it's almost like, six bucks anywhere else. Yeah, it's like five fifty at Safeway standard for us. So five fifty to five ninety-nine. Sometimes you can get it um, on discount card at cheaper than that. But yeah, we often wind up going to Walmart for milk. To uh, like sometimes only milk. It's like the only thing we get at Walmart is milk. So. We go like right before, but yeah, their cereal it. is much cheaper, and also you can get the big boxes sometimes for the same price you'd pay for the small box at the grocery store. Yeah, they're they're good. They have good prices on staple stuff. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I would love to support my local market, but sometimes they're so outrageously priced on stuff that it's just kind of like. Holy crap! Why are you, your your prices? We're not talking like they're double Walmart in some cases. Sometimes they're triple Walmart. Yeah, yeah. I like Publix too. I really enjoy Publix chicken. Excellent. Um, and I like when I go to Publix. Not something I like every time I go to the Publix. Sometimes 
I don't want anybody to say anything to me while I, while I shop. I want to get my shit and go. And the people at Publix are very, 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 very fucking friendly. And so sometimes if I'm not up for that much inter- interaction, I'll skip Publix and go to Kroger because the employees won't say hi to me every time I walk by them at Kroger. Like they will Do you need Publix. anything? Do you need anything? Do you need anything? Good afternoon, ma'am. Have, are you having a good day, ma'am? Good afternoon, ma'am. Can I help you find anything, ma'am? 25 times this is when you the front to... door and the cashier. <laughs> this is when you need to shop with your headphones on. Put your hair in a ponytail, put some big-ass headphones on, and go grocery shopping. It's like, don't <laughs> talk to me. So if I'm not if I'm not up for that much peopling, I will go to Kroger because they won't say hi to me. Yeah, I have that issue. Actually, weirdly, the place where I get talked at the most is my local Starbucks, which I – I go there a lot. I, I'm not going to lie. And um, they don't recognize me, like, by name in the drive-thru. But if there's any delay in getting the order, the person kind of hangs out the window and talks to me. And I'm like, oh. But if I go in, they talk every – I was in the other day. Because if I have to place a pretty big order, I try not to do it in the drive-thru. I go inside. And the cashier recognized me, and she called me out by name. And then um, – of course, then my name goes on the tickets, right? Every single person, and there were five people working, except for the drive through cashier, called me by name and talked to me. And I was like, I guess I need a bathroom break. This is just too much friendliness. I'm anti-social. I'm actually not very anti-social, but I just don't want to talk to people like that. So, no. No. I'm not up for peopling today. Don't people me. <laughs> I want a I want a shirt that says I'm not up for people today, just so I can wear it when I'm literally not up for it. It's just some people will know. My, don't uh, don't my talk to me. There was this tulip festival thing this weekend. Past weekend, I didn't go because um, you know I had other things to do, and um, they ha- actually it was on Tuesday, not this weekend. It was on Tuesday. Um, and uh, they got a picture of the back of this guy's jacket that said Anti-Social Social Club. And um, I was like, yeah, I need that. I need to be part of the Anti-Social Social Club. I want to just hang out with people who understand just how antisocial I can be. And they'll only talk to me at agreed upon times. <laughs> Sometimes Lady Holder and I will call each other and not say anything, just write. <laughs> That works. You gotta gotta have that friend you can do that with. You can just, you know, have companionship without yapping. Long distance. <laughs> I do have to say, I wear I wear unusual shoes. Now in California, the shoes that I wear, which is just those five finger shoes, you know, the little ones with the separate separate toes. To me, it's not novel at all in California anymore. It's still novel in Oregon, apparently. Every time I go out, inevitably, somebody asks me about my shoes. And there are days when I'm trying to make a shoe decision, and I make it based on whether or not I can deal with somebody talking to me about my shoes. You know, there's a company actually out there who's making those toe shoes, um, and they're making them so they'll look normal, so people won't know you're wearing toe shoes. I saw a commercial for it. That's interesting because I just don't need people, you know, oh, my God, do you like those shoes? Are they comfortable? How Do they have a soul? Of course they've got a soul. <laughs> Otherwise it would be gross. 
<laughs> I'm not Fred Footstone. Anyway, well, I tell you character. what. I tell you. I tell you. I tell you what, Jeep. Though here's the issue: is that I have really bad resting bitch face, so people look at my feet a lot because <laughs> they won't. <laughs> <make my laughs> so, I think perhaps the lack of friendly expression is why that they are focusing on my feet, and then they get curious and they forget that I have resting bitch face. <laughs> Okay, so characters, 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 characters. So I'll just tell you what came up for me this week. And I kind of got some feedback from somebody else, and I talked to you a little bit about it, um, which was that mm, I have to have started, you know, in the last 12 months, at least one once a month, I start a different original work. And I was I was kind of going through them all recently and looking at them and trying to decide how I felt about them. Like, do I want to work on this one, you know, whatever. And I realized my issue with every single one of them, it was not a matter of plot. It wasn't a matter, it was all character. It's all character. And I realized that all of the characters felt flat to me. And um, I was like, okay, what's going on here? Because I'm not bad at characterizing. So I actually think character work is some of my strongest work, even when I, you know, even with, and I create original characters all the time. So I'm like, okay, so what's going on here? And And I realized that the issue was, I mean, yes, I started off writing um, original work long before I ever heard of fan fiction. I heard of fan fiction in my mid-20s. So I've been writing, you know, for years before that point. Um, but I tended to write um, – I tend to write um, long works with characters, and a lot of times I would live with a character in my head or plan multiple – um, stories with them and that kind of thing. And so I realized that, that, that when, I, then when I got to fan fiction, I latched on to fan fiction more about characters than I latched on about universes or plot lines. It was like I'd fall in love with a character and I would just want to spend, you know, years with that character writing about them. And then I get to back, you know, so I've been writing fan fiction now for, I started reading fan fiction in the late 90s. So I've, been, I've been writing fan fiction for 21 years, I think. Oh, my God. I just had a moment. Um, 21 years I've been writing fan fiction. And I live basically in that time. <clears throat> I've latched on to half a dozen characters in 21 years. So I've been having a love affair with about six characters for 20 years. So I started trying to write... <laughs> original work again and I don't have any of those characters anywhere in my stories and I everything feels flat and colorless to me and and it just got me thinking and I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to solve this problem tonight because I have some I have some of my own thoughts about and that kind of thing and I got some advice from you and um, I did run something I, I'm writing um by a person who doesn't know anything about my fan fiction or anything like that to kind of get their opinion on the characters and see if they felt flat or underdeveloped to them. And um, so I kind of am working that issue, but it just got me thinking about the whole issue of characterization and how we, how we write characters and how we build them. And, um, and then character, character profile came up earlier um, on the Just Write server. Um, and I, 
I had given somebody a link to go to for a character profile, but then I turned around and said, you know something, if you want to do more in-depth character work, because this is what I started with and worked down from, and actually I felt like that this character profile sheet was much more in-depth than I generally needed. Um, and apparently the person that I'd given that to said that that, that that really thorough character sheet was really helpful because it helped them really de- delve into the character. Um, Anyway, and so it just got me thinking about how we build characters and what we infuse into them and how we make them breathe on the page. And that's what – so when you said podcast suggestions, that was the – and the person the podcast tonight, so I'm glad that was helpful. Um, and um, so that's when you asked about podcast suggestions, that was the first thing that came to mind because I've been thinking about character development every day lately, every day. So that's how we got I think for me, characters bloom for me. Um, and uh, sometimes I have conversations with my characters in my head. You know, I'm having a conversation with me in my head, basically. And it allows me to um, kind of work a character open so that I know um, who I'm who I'm writing about. And um, sometimes you need, I mean, there, there are character archetypes. Um, you know, there's the funny one, the mean one, the angry one, the arrogant one, the snarky one. And you can pick them out in, in various pieces of media. Um, there's the brave one. There's um, the coward. Uh, there's the, uh, I mean, they're just, these are these are kind of archetypes that we see um, in media, and what am I saying that right? Archetypes, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, and so for me, I often approach character work from from um, from the start. I build my first character, and then I decide. I have my questions and then I build my first character. And after that, everything else flows around that character and what I build for them. And so I learned early on was not to fashion my character to fit my plot, but to build my plot around the character I create. Because you can ask the same question of four different characters and get four different responses, and you have four different plots. But when you build a character to fit your plot, you end up with a a one-dimensional character. It's 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 so, it they they are flat on the page for me anyway. They're filling a hole. In my plot. Okay, there you go. There's my dude. But if I build my plot around my character and how I think my character would respond, I have a better I, I, I have a better um, grasp of what is happening. I do the same thing in, in fan fiction. If I took a character like Harry Potter and said, okay, what if I send Harry Potter back in time? This is what will happen. If I send John Shepard back in time, this is what will happen. If I send Tony Stark back in time, this is what will happen. Do you see what I mean? So depending on yeah, my character, I, I, mean, yeah. I build my plot. And so I can't build my plot until I know who my characters are. 
Well, I mean, I I see. I I would say I'm with you like part of the way on that for the way I work, which is that I um, I need to have some idea of some event I want to have happen in order to come up with a character because uh, otherwise it's just oh I I've created this really fascinating character and what adventure could I send him on and that's not quite the way my brain works. So usually what I do is I would go more of an iterative process where I go okay I want to write a story. Um, about a tattoo artist who is going to do this thing specifically. Then I'm going to go create a character. And then I'm going to, based upon the character I've created, I'm going to then plot. But there has to be some, for me, some kind of point to this character. So I'm a little bit more goal-oriented in the sense that if I don't have the idea of the kind of story I want to tell, um, I don't see the point in crafting a character. I have my question first. What's my question? Um, what happens when two characters meet in a cafe? Well, first, I mean, okay, that's my question. Two characters are going to meet in the cafe, so now I have to build my characters. I build my two characters. And I ask myself, well, how does this person, how does character A respond to meeting a stranger in a cafe they find attractive. How does character B respond to the same situation? It would be, you know, to have my characters and know them and know their history so that I know how they'll respond to events in the plot that I'm going to build. So I have my precipitating event. Is that how you say it? Precipitating event. Precipitating event, yeah. And then I build my characters, and then from there my plot expands. Because if I don't know what my characters are going to, or how my characters are going to act in relation to external stimulus and external events, then I can't build my plot. So you just said the same thing I did in a different way. You said you have your precipitating event, then you build your characters, and then you plot. Which yeah. Is the same well, I have thing that. I yeah, I have to have that. I have to have that question first. Because otherwise I won't know what kind of character, well, even if I need more than one character, if I don't know what my event is, like my one event, my question, what if. Now, I don't, I don't tend to write a character to fit a story, but if I have a question, but I, I say that, but then I'm going to contradict myself because I don't, um, so, okay, so I'll give an example, a fan fiction example that involved the creation of an original character. So I don't actually want to talk about the original story that I'm struggling with right now. Um, but when I, when, I cra- when I decided to write um, the Sliding Doors version of Catalyst, which was the For You-verse, and I was sitting there thinking, well, what if the person Tony had been involved with was a senator? who died in 9-11, who broke up with Tony um, in um, after college because he couldn't afford to be out and he chose to his political career. Okay, so that was, that was like, well, what if this is the storyline, the backstory? And what if I write that a sliding doors version where they got back together before the events of 9-11 and he doesn't die. And, and, and as a result of them being together, he doesn't wind up being in the World Trade Center. Okay, so, so that was my – I had a story premise, but I didn't have a character in mind, really. Um, 
And then I went back. But see, at that point, I knew that he had to have some sort of upbringing and background that would make it difficult for him to be out about his orientation. I knew he was going to have to want to go into politics. So I had things in order to make my plot work, in order to fit this premise, I did have to build a specific type of character. But I didn't want to get into making him fit perfectly into the idea I had. So then once I knew those basic frameworks that I needed this type of character, then I went back to the beginning. And I thought, we, I mean, you and I even spent like um, – like three or four hours one night just coming up with his last name, which will never come out in the story about um, we talked, remember we talked the night we talked about the black loyalists and um, um, the trip from yeah. New York to what was it, Saskatchewan or something like that? Or maybe not Saskatchewan, yeah. maybe it was. Um, anyway, so we had this whole big long conversation about building his family history and stuff. And then once I built that character, then I plotted the story where he fit in it, a story that he fit in. as a, But he still had to meet the, that criteria of he has to become a senator. He couldn't have been out before he became a senator. I mean, there were, certain, there were certain things that were absolutely necessary for him to fit the plot that I had. And so I couldn't make character choices at that point that were going to take him out of the running for my plot. But I could make choices that would cause me to build a slightly different story. Um, You know, I could have given him different reasons for breaking up with Tony. I didn't wind up needing to, but I could have, and I would have if it had been needed for the story. So I didn't engineer him to fit the plot, but I did have a plot in mind that he had to fit into, if that makes sense. I mean, it seems like a contradiction, Mm -hmm. but I think it's more about kind of like the mental flexibility to not allow him to be perfect for the idea I had and let the idea evolve to fit the character I developed. But there would be no point in me, um, you know, crafting a character or using a character who's an openly gay um, botanist to meet that story idea. So Right, because it wouldn't work. Because it, it wouldn't get your- me anywhere. But, if, but it fits your question. What if T- Tony's ex-boyfriend was a senator? Um, who dumped yeah. him from his political career, basically. Um, right. Um, so, yeah, that, 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 that fits. He was a, a gay politician who, you know, chose his career over, over love. Aw. Yes, he did. So, you know, so it was a, it was a, um, and I'm very happy with the way Ethan, Ethan developed. And I think, the first time I wrote Nathan's point of view, I did struggle though, because he's not the character I know, like I know Tony. Um, I, I actually one of the I said in the in the the blog the the summary that this is an area where um, where fandom is bad for you as a writer, um, because fandom does give you fully fleshed characters, um, main characters to play with, and you have a lot of times you have a lot of canon to help you to help build that character in your mind. And so when you have a, a character like Tony, where you had how many years with him on the TV? And, you know, it it really allows you as a writer to, to visualize um, the, the fandom character to such an extent that, that they feel real. And that's also another pitfall of fandom is people treating actors like, like the characters because that, that's how they play. But 
when you have an original character, you don't have that that can that can experience to fall back on, and so you have to build that whole thing in your brain. And sometimes, if you spend, I think, even I have had this problem quite recently, actually, where I spend too much time in fandom, and um, writing original work can be kind of boring. Yeah, and I think it does come down to the characters. Um, I think that it, for me, at least, it does come down to um, I want I want to because I'm a character driven writer, I'm a character driven reader, and I want to get like lost in a character. I like a, I want a really good plot too. I want it all, but I am more concerned about character than I am about plot. But um, so yeah, I think it is bad because it's not just it's not just having because the first time I write a character, no matter how long I've seen them on TV, it's awkward and uncomfortable. And I had to remind myself of that. The first time I wrote Rodney McKay, I was very uptight about it. It didn't feel good. It was I would think back to just November writing you know half the story from Steve Rogers' point of view. I mean, I almost stumbled in the first two chapters because I couldn't quite wrap my head around his point of view. And so anytime you write a character you're not familiar with, even if you've had a lot of screen time for them, you still have to settle them in your own headcanon. And it can be difficult. And I think that I forget that that I struggle with that even with fandom characters, is figuring out how to make them my own and make the voice resonate for me is always a challenge with somebody new. The difference is, is that I then entrench myself in those characters for years and hundreds of thousands of words. And with a with a with an original character, I might be using them for 10,000 words, and that's it. And I think that breaks my heart a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, I've written like original characters. I think that for me, original characters in fandom, I do tend to, like go back to them, like, you know, and put them in other things um, or put them in stories, like my use of Thaddeus Banner across all my Harry Potter stories, and because I like him a lot. (laughs) I spent a lot of time creating that dude. I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to stick him in everything. (laughs) I mean, I even borrowed Dale from you. I mean, I didn't use him right? like, on yeah. screen much, but I still borrowed him because I'm like, well, Kira, Kira's made a perfectly good character that would fit here, and he's hot as hell. Why wouldn't I use him? Um, right? I borrowed Cooper from Lady Holder because she's, like, practically a member of the cast now. I'm like, what do you mean Cooper wasn't? Yeah, Cooper was on Atlantis. We just didn't get to see her. Shut your hole. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I've loaned out my OCs, and I think part of that is it's a little bit of the fandom experience of, like, we like – it's also a little bit of an Easter egg for people who know the character from somewhere else and really like the character. Um, when you've done a good job with your AC, OCs, you want to have them have more life, right? And, um, and, and so I think it's like one of the things I mentioned to you is that I was like struggling with this epiphany that I had. That that's why my characters felt flat to me. It wasn't that I was, because I was sitting there thinking, am I not doing a good job of characterization? It feels so flat. And I realized, kind of what was going on and what was at the core of it and I thought maybe I need to be working on like a series of that involved the same characters rather than you know five or six different stories with different characters because it it's like you know it, this is a weird thing it's not even about it, it's not even about publishing it's not even about making money and this is going to sound maybe 
narcissistic or maybe it's going to sound like egoist. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but sometimes I just want to, the reason why I've kind of pushed myself on the original fiction front is I want something that's all mine. You know, sometimes I don't want to play in somebody else's sandbox. I want to be in my sandbox. I don't want to have to give a disclaimer that these things belong to other people. They belong to me. Um, and maybe that's territorial. I, get it. I don't know. And I don't, I don't have that mood I get all the time, it. but there are days when I'm tired of playing with other people's toys and I want to just play with my own toys. Um, that is mine, 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 mine. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do have a mine, 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 mine mood, and when I'm there, I don't want to share. Uh, I don't want to share creative, you know, credit. <laughs> I don't want to go to anybody these else. The property of, these characters are the property of, you know, perfectly normal Bella Starry for or an CBS. author. I think it's perfectly normal for an author. Yeah, I mean, I do. Because, you know, um, there's something really, really amazing about having your own work out there. I'm like, oh, this is mine. Check that out. Check that out. Look at me. <laughs> Speaking of looking at me, in 10 days, The Merman comes out. <laughs> I'm so jazzed that that's coming out in April. And um, Margaret, who was on a, a few what, last week or a week and a half ago, her book's coming out mm-hmm. in May, right? It comes out May 15th. It's called The Spring Prince, and it's Margaret Cuthlet. So you guys will be looking for that on Cobblestone as well. Um, so, yeah. Me on the 15th and Margaret on May 15th. It's like a minion celebration. We just need the minions to just keep sending books to Cobblestone, and we'll just have we'll have a minion a month. The, a minion a month. God, take it That'll over. That'll be the thing. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so uh, that'll be fun, and um, I'm looking forward to sharing it with you guys. It's just a little erotica story. It's about, I think it's 7 or 8K, so it's, it, so it's in their Wicked line. Um, it, it ends with a happy for now, and um, I'm just, I'm really pleased with it. It's really sexy. Um, so, yeah. I might have to revisit my characters um, because I, I like them a lot, so, Congratulations, Margaret. Margaret submitted the sequel to Spring Prince this week, so hopefully we'll be seeing that pretty soon, too. She'll get another gorgeous cover we can all be jealous over. (laughs) She she did have a beautiful cover, but so did you. You guys have all had lovely covers. Yeah, Cobblestone does does nice covers. um, Really nice covers, so, yeah. But, um, yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. But I think I do want to write another book about my characters in The Merman. So I didn't get to spend enough time with either of them. And I only got to spend time in one character's point of view. Um, so I just, I, I really want to dig in, you know, and maybe, maybe even write a full length for them. Um, so um, that could be my side project for the summer, you know, so... I wouldn't be mad. It's going to be a terrible, terrible tease because I've read it and the characters are great. And I would, I would love it if you would spend more time with them. Just personal selfishness thing. Yeah. I mean, Henry, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I really like Henry a lot. Um, so, uh, that's my main character and I'm just, I'm just, I'm really thrilled with Henry. So, um, I'm, I I might have to do another, another story with Henry and, and, and his merman. He's not literally a merman, you guys. It is a it is a fantasy, a sex fantasy club. So 
He's a human. He just pretends to be a merman. That yeah, but he could, he could he could pretend to be all kinds of things. He could, he could he could pretend to be, you know, a fucking centaur. As far as I'm concerned, and I would tune in because <laughs> he's very hot. Yeah, ja- yeah, Jasper. That's the industry standard. In fact, um, it's I better than actually, some, actually. It's better than some. I actually only got five percent on my audio rights for um, my last print contract, and I only got seven percent on the actual book, electronic and print. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, most of the, um, especially most of the indie publishers are kind of in that range. Some of them, you know, some of them go up to a, um, I want to say it's a dream spinner that has like a tiered thing. Um, if you're over a mm-hmm. certain price point, you start lower. It's like 30%, but you could go up to getting as much as 60%, but you have to have some incredible amount of sales to hit that 60% bracket that most people never hit. So, but... You know, um, you don't do 100% of the labor, Jasper. Um, the artist has to be paid. The editor has to be paid. Um, the, the the staff of the publisher has to be paid. Um, yeah, it's it's the the author does not do 100% of the work. Um, it's it it it. I know a lot of authors tend to have that mindset that they do 100% of the work, um, which is why uh, I think that. Um, What's it called? Um, self-publishing is such a takeoff. But I can tell you that self-publishing to me is the devil. Yeah. I don't know it if it's self-publishing either. I think it's just a vanity. If, if you can't get published on um, with a company, then I really don't want to see you, you on Amazon. If you can't get published with a, with a company that has an actual editor, then and, – and I'm going to say an actual editor because there's a couple of like – what do they call those, like vanity imprints? Do they claim they edit your work, but they don't really? I think they run into Grammarly. They don't really. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we can ha- we have to have a whole talk about the industry of publishing, but the fact of the matter is, is that the overhead for publishing a book is ridiculous. Um, and I have a big audience, so I know that my publisher is going to make back the money they, they put into my book. Um, there are plenty of books that don't make the money back. I mean, it's a, it's a risk to publish somebody. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's the cover artist, there's an editor in some companies, there's an editor, a, well, there's a content editor, a line editor, and a proofer. Um, Sensitivity editor. Then there's the actual cost of creating books and the distribution fees. Um, and if you're like going through like um, Baker and Taylor, you can spend twenty five dollars to list a single book with Baker and Taylor. Um, so, and then there's the website costs and distribution of fifteen to twenty distribution centers, and they're paying. Like at Amazon, you put a book up on Amazon, Amazon gives you back forty five percent of what you get if you're lucky. So actually, no. Yeah, thirty-five I mean, percent. It can cost anywhere from with, with editing and with the cover, it can cost anywhere from three hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars to put an ebook into distribution. 
Yeah, and when you think about that, some of these eBooks cost two ninety nine a piece, and they sell ten copies. You, that's a risk the publisher takes. So, um, yeah, it's rough. Uh, and I know some people who went through traditional publishers as opposed to like a just an ebook publisher only. And um, sometimes it's, their deal is more like twenty five or thirty percent after their advance is paid back. So, and that's usually on the typical. net, not the gross. And Cobblestone does put yes. does pay on gross, um, and the net means that you get your fifteen sixteen percent after all the bills get paid out of what's left, which yeah. could literally be, now, I, be pennies on the dollar. So, yeah, yeah. I will say I think I think that the the authors who are doing really well on like. Kindle Unlimited and and through Kindle's self pub what I don't know what is I don't remember what Kindle's self publishing platform mm-hmm. is called. I but they're encouraged to go on Kindle Unlimited. But the authors who do really well, I will say they pay for their own editor. And um they develop a following because they have well written and well edited books and they pay for cover art. And yes, they then get seventy percent of the sales, but there are some times when they don't even recoup their editing and um, cover art costs on their seventy percent. So yeah, they're getting a bigger piece of the pie, but they don't always recoup their costs. <laughs> so it's you know right it's kind of a and you're not out that when you go through a traditional publisher. If if the publisher doesn't recoup their costs, that's not on you. That was the risk the publisher took. So. Um, yeah, and yeah. That, it's, that estimate I gave, the 250 to $500, is not me being um, – that's a very conservative estimate. Very, very, yeah. There so, are, yeah, there are 35 really – I would say 35 to 45% is the average, the, the industry average for, for e-publishing. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then there's a separate contract at Cobblestone for, for print. So I do have a book in print with them, and that that was a separate contract. Yeah, it, it it's it's pretty. When you start looking in the costs that really go into doing a good book on your own, um, a lot of self-published authors find it cost prohibitive based upon what they sell to do good cover art and to do. Or, I would yeah, I mean, there, if you're self-publishing, you can pay $250 just for a cover. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and that's yeah. not even counting and, what you pay the editor. And some editors charge you by the word. A lot of editors charge you by the word. And so it, uh, uh, just one one run-through on line editing could cost you 300 bucks. So, um, and they'll charge you more if you want content editing, too. Um, but but the um, what's it called? Um, also, one of the things some people did there was there was a kind of a rash of a problem with people using copyrighted images to make their cover art themselves because they were pissed off about how much cover art costs, and so they were um, instead of because you can buy stock covers fairly cheaply, but if you want a nice cover, it's going to cost you. But they were pissed off by having to buy anything, and they're using copyrighted images. And all of a sudden, they're getting sued, and they're getting DMCA takedown notices on their cover art, which is fucking stupid. So it's really fucking stupid. So I, you know, I'm actually on board with um, with 
getting 35% royalty because, number one, I'm, I'm not having to hunt for an editor. I'm not having to hunt for somebody to do my cover art, and I'm not having to pay that stuff out of pocket. And um, all the risk is, is not mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I so. do think, and this is the, you know I know whoever asked the question, it was not none of that that spiel was that was just out to anybody who's curious about should they go with a traditional publisher. But we've talked before about how we have a strong bias for, um, to, you know, for traditional publishing, whether it's an e-publisher or a book publisher, because it is um, there's just there's just it's just a hot mess. The self-publishing market is just a hot mess. So, yeah, people look at the slice of the pie that they get, and they do tend to think, oh, I want to go with self-publishing until they find out all the costs that they didn't know about. And some of them wind up losing money on every book they put out. So unless you've got a really big following that you know will take you there, and I do know some authors have gone that route. They have a big publishing with their traditional publisher, and then they go independent and publish on their own. And their following comes with them, and that works. But the thing that they lose is they look all, they lose all the marketing that the publisher does for them, um, all that PR stuff the publisher handles, and they also don't have the the legal protection that the publisher provides. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's up to you. But um, no, and actually, you know, be careful about saying things like, um, what, what what did they say? <laughs> What did they say? Careful about calling publishers a ripoff because that's is it slander or is it libel? Slander. Slander. <laughs> and especially like in forums and stuff, because if you actually want to get published and a publisher or an editor sees you out in public forums, um, being an asshole about the process or about uh, how um, how you think it's a you know a con job or a ripoff or a racket, um, they're not going to. I know one is written and one is spoken. I just forget which one is which. Um, <clears throat> they're not going to be um, all that interested in publishing you. <laughs> So, like, be careful on your Facebook and on your Twitter um, because they will look at that stuff. And, you know, um, my agent looks at my official Twitter, and when I was posting, I was actually, I was really hardcore into Barack Obama being elected president. She calls my house, and she says, I'm going to ask a, I, I'm going to ask a big favor of you. And I'm like, okay. And she says, I need, you to, I need you to go through and sanitize your social media I said, sanitize how? I said, I write porn for a living. She says, I need you to take down all the political stuff. I was like, okay, <laughs> leave the ass, get rid of the politicians. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so I did. I just, I just sanitized all my social media and get rid of all our political stuff um, because, because they were paying attention, and um, one of my publishers didn't like it.
Yeah, ass okay, jackass not, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So they they do pay attention to you. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think people go into publishing with unrealistic expectation of what it's going to be like for them. And everybody who gets published thinks they're going to be J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or whatever. Um, and, you know, but that's it, that's not the reality for most authors, so... You just kind of have to check your expectations and um, and get some good advice from from friends who who would who would know good from bad, you know. So if anybody like you know, Kira has told many a person, do not accept a contract, a publishing contract that requires you to pay, you know, and that's exceptional advice. You should never have to pay your publisher if they're asking you to pay money for cover art or pay money for this or that or the other. Then they're not actually your publisher; they're like some sort of weird book broker. But it's not, you know, the thing with opinion is it's not so much a matter of is it, it's not even is it, is it libel or slander, it's a matter of they pay attention and people screenshot stuff and word gets around and publishers share with each other who's difficult and, um, you know, so it's just a matter, it's not a matter of do you meet like a legal burden for slander or libel, it's more of a matter of are they going to work with you if they find out that, that you're, you know, if they think you're a pain in the butt, you may not actually be a pain in the butt, and your opinion might be legit. But if they think you're going to be a pain in the butt, they might just, you know, circular file you without ever looking at your work. Anyway, back to characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just be careful across the board. Even even if it's not outside publishing, um, if you're looking for a job, you don't want to have a naked ass on your Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'd for a job that that would be acceptable. <laughs> Someone out there has done some screen caps of some really questionable stuff on my middle brother's, you know, Facebook feed that is going to come back to haunt him someday. And when he was putting that stupid stuff up, you know, I told him this is going to oh, come back no. to haunt you someday. Um, I remember that. And I remember that. Yeah. The taking the the taking the pictures of their bowel movements. Yeah. Boys. Anyway, um, but teenage boys are fucking idiots. I'm just, I, you know, there's probably a teenage boy out there who, who's not a fucking idiot. But let me tell you something. You have the potential to be an idiot. <laughs> so, um, and I get it. I get, I get it that your brains are not fully developed yet. I get it. But still, listen, listen to your older and wiser sister who knows that nothing goes on the internet ever dies. Anyway. Um, and we live yeah, in, when you're establishing yourself when you're establishing yourself as a writer, if, even if you're in fandom, um, just just be aware. And don't post yeah. pictures of your poop. <laughs> <laughs> and you just have to be careful about the shit you say, right? And it's not about being you know, <laughs> it, put your shit on the web. <laughs> yeah, very literally. Said. Um <laughs> and, don't you know the thing is is like it's not about are you political even although your publisher might ask you to be less political it's a matter of have you said things that could get you me we unfortunately we live in a day and age where something you said 10 years ago could tank your career now and it's not about politics right so watch watch your opinions it's about your it's 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 about your opinions more than about being a democrat or 
I think I actually I think you're going to be hard pressed if you're a Republican and you're very open about certain Republican issues. Those are the kind of opinions you need to be careful about. I'm just saying. I don't want to be too specific yeah. because we don't want to get in trouble here. But you know, just be careful. But you know, be careful. also um, like uh, you guys know Marvel, Disney. Um, you know the guy James Gunn. He did the first. He did the first two Guardians. He did Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Um, getting ready to do Guardians of the Galaxy Three when it came out, that he made a particularly disgusting joke on his Twitter seven eight years ago, and someone pointed it out, and he got fired. Um, and eventually, Disney realized that um, his fans really didn't give a shit that he made a really disgusting joke. Well, they cared that the joke was disgusting, but he apologized for it. And they were ready to move on, and Disney was like, uh. and then DC hired James Gunn, and Disney was like, okay, 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 you can, you can, yeah, come on back. <laughs> so like, we're kidding, we're kidding, come on back. Well, we're kidding. Apparently, come most, apparently, most of the cast also said they weren't going to do a third movie if he wasn't there. So, right. Um, but if he you wasn't, know, his, who his, he was? If he didn't have all that success under his belt, that disgusting joke he told eight years ago would have ruined his life. Yeah. And the thing is, there are a lot of people who who tell a disgusting joke eight years ago or ten years ago that are popular, and they still, it fucks up their career now. I mean, he's one of the ones who's kind of skating through. Um, But, you know... And the thing is, there are a lot. There, there are some who manage to skate through that kind of thing. Who, and I think it's because they're able to, in some fashion, show that they have legitimately changed and have come around to a different way of thinking, or have seen that their behavior was reprehensible and that they're changing it. And we need to give people room to grow and be different. And I'm fine with that. But it's the ones who are who are blatantly, transparently apologizing because it's expected of them. Um, and they don't really mean it, that we all see right through it, and we don't let it, and, and the public doesn't let it go. So, you like Roseanne and her Prozac? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what was it? We it see Prozac. through it. It was her, it was her, the sleep, but Ambien. It was Ambien. Um, she said it was Ambien. I think Ambien yeah. was. And like, and like, no. I hallucinated, but I didn't cuss anybody out on the internet. And she got her show canceled, and it isn't coming back, and that's the way that is. So, you know, you just got to be careful because things live on the Internet forever, and most of us are not popular enough to, to weather the storm of um, like a racist joke or, or a, a poorly timed – or a rape joke or whatever. We're not – most of us aren't the, aren't the kind of popular that are going to weather that kind of scandal. So just watch what you say. Oh, on that note, before we go back to the characters, this is actually, um, do not, be very careful about your first print rights. Some publishers care a lot about first print rights. Some don't. Publish your work on a publicly available blog and leave it up there. Um, You're exhausting your first print rights. And some publishers care, uh, and they will say, no, I'm not interested in this because you've already published it. But if you are going to send something off to be published that you've had on the Internet, remove it before you pu- you send it off to, to submission. 
Don't leave it up on your blog, <laughs> on your Tumblr, yeah. for your potential publisher also, to find and go, why the fuck are they sending me this when it's currently available on the Internet? Why would I want that? Be honest about it. Be honest and say that it was at one time on a website. Just just be honest because it, it, it never pays to lie in those particular um, circumstances because it can come back to haunt you, especially if you're signing a contract saying you're giving that publisher um, first print rights when you've already exhausted first print rights. Yeah, and Rough Trade counts as first print, in case you're wondering. It's publicly available. But Rough Trade, you know, because it's publicly available, but you could almost make the case because it's only up temporarily um, and that it is a, technically like a writing challenge site, not like a story archive, you might be able to make the case for the publisher that um, it was up there briefly and that it, the, the site has copy protection on it um, and whatever. You might be able to make a case that you haven't exhausted your first print right on a site like Rough Trade. But um, I talked to somebody just be honest. who, yeah, they just really, really, really wanted their story to be read. This is a you know, novel-length original work that they'd written for Nano. And they couldn't bear the, the waiting process of going through publication. And so they put it up on AO3. And I said, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And, um, and um, they did it anyway. And that's completely exhausted their first print rights. AO3, if you put it on AO3, you're you're you you're you're gonna have to disclose that. So one of the reasons why Rough Trade is not Kive and why I say it on the front page is that that is a um that's a thin layer of protection for you if you do do original work on Rough Trade, um which we did do a challenge like that in the past. Um which and I won't ever do it again. But um we we, we did have one original fiction challenge. Um but AO3 is explicitly an archive. So if you put your original work on an arc, on, on, on archive site like AO3, you are absolutely 100% exhausting your first print rights. Yeah. And, but and Rough Trade is not an archive also, for exactly that reason because yeah, and some of you like to do original work there. And in theory, your, your completed work never makes it up there anyway. Um, so it's always a rough draft, I'm, yeah. Um, if my yeah. rough, if I finished my rough draft, like let's say I had a rough draft that came in at fifty thousand words, a rough draft, odds are the final version is going to be sixty. So, I don't get smaller when I edit, <laughs> ever. That's never yeah, happened. Yeah, I mean, I was nominated for a Hugo, which is stunning and amazing and bizarre. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that information. So. Well, it's called archives of yeah. your own, so you know it can't escape what it is. Um, and I would say technically, would even though we don't thing. call, yeah, I would say technically, even though it's not, an, we don't call it an archive. That wild hair would it would count as exhausting because it is publicly available and the works are there at least semi permanently. So you know, if you yeah, put it there, so, yeah. you would still be exhausting your your print rights. So. But it's just a matter of disclosing it because. Some publishers might go, eh, that's fine, but a lot of them do care, and you don't want to find out. Read the contract carefully because it will tell you if they care about first print rights. And you need to be honest 
Because if you're not and you get caught, that's fraud. And yeah. that's bad. Even if they just well, pop they- you out of their publisher and cancel your contract and tell you to kiss their ass and never contact them again, you've still committed fraud against the publisher, and they're not going to keep that shit to themselves. They're going to tell all their little publisher friends, hey, this dude, this person, this woman, whatever you are, uh, defrauded my company. This is this is their name. This is their pen name. Yeah. They aren't required to keep your fraud to themselves. Okay, so we'll have to put in a little, we had a little publishing ramble in the middle-ish. Characters, characters, characters. Um, so as I was saying, I was thinking that one of the things, and we, I think I think this is where we were before we started talking about publishing, is that one of the things I was thinking about doing um Um. Hmm. Sorry, I'm <laughs> moderately moderately distracted. Sorry. Um, characters. I think that that in order to um, get yourself um, in a position where you don't wreck yourself when you're writing, that you need to know um, your, your character backwards and forwards. You need to know how they're going to respond in a situation. Um, if my character gets stranded on the side of the road, are they going to have a tantrum? Maybe. Well, Can they change maybe. that tire? Who taught them? Pro- probably not. <laughs> right? No, actually, I would, um, never, I would never write a character who can change the tire. But... Is there That's an ability me. to change the tire and give him a tantrum? Yep. <laughs> Is there even a tire in their back in their trunk? Because for some characters that would be absolutely, of course, they have an extra tire in their car. And for other characters, no. If this isn't even their car, they rented it. But if you don't know the answers to these questions, then you can't give them genuine responses and um, to. To their uh, to their circumstances, and so having these external factors hit your character, it's important to know how they're going to react. Because if you don't, then your story is going to fall flat, and your character is going to look um, one-dimensional and boring. Make sense? Yeah. So completely. It, it really depends in your brain how much how much fleshing out you need. Like for me. Um, I don't have to write down a whole lot about my character. Um, I do have to ke- I do have to write down some small details that I will forget, like their age, um, their eye color. I don't often forget hair color, but I will fuck up eye color three ways from Sunday in 90k. It's going to be brown in one chapter and blue in the next. But I just I just can't keep eye color in my brain. Um, so I know that about myself. I know where, where my weaknesses are when it comes to character building. So I write down the things that I know I might forget, like eye color, age, the names of their parents, if their parents aren't going to appear in the in the novel or whatever, or the story. Um, if they have siblings, their siblings are going to I'm writing that down. It might happen. 
I need to know who siblings, you know, who the siblings are. Yeah, I think that all of that stuff is super. I mean, I would definitely do any kind of biographical information about the character and have that all written down in advance. Um, but and it, it is weird to ask yourself that really define your character. Like, what's their favorite movie? Yeah, there's this. Let me send you this. Um, let me. Send, where did I put that? I must have put it somewhere. I hate it when I lose. What's their favorite movie? What's their favorite song? What's the last concert they went to? Have they ever been to a concert? What's the last movie they saw in the theater? These are the kinds of things that really define your character because if your character is a science fiction fan over a um, historical drama fan, those are two different characters right there. Those are two very different characters. These are some of the questions that I put that are in that care. I put I, I sent it to you in in, a, in private chat. But these are some of the questions in that in that character profile that I gave to someone earlier today. Um, it's things like what are their distinguishing tics and mannerisms? Do they have any chronic illnesses? Describe their handwriting. How do they walk? Do they have an accent? Where did they grow up? Um, and um, what's their posture like? Um, and then there's just all this stuff about them and how they move. And then there's all this stuff about where they grew up, what kind of jobs did they have, um, what is their big regret, what were their hobbies when they were a kid, what are their hobbies now. Um, if they could change one thing in the past, what would it be? Um, and it's really like this kind of character work is like really digging in deep and learning about, learning about your character. Um, what are the skeletons in their closet? Um, who are the who, what are their friends and what kind of friends do they like? What kind of social media platforms are they? I mean, if you go through and you answer all of these questions, and this profile is 13 pages, okay, this character profile, this really in-depth character profile. Um, I like, there's just so many interesting questions. Like, if they didn't have to sleep, what would they do with the extra time? Which fictional world would they most want to visit? If you actually go through and fill that out, you're going to know that character. And knowing that character makes them live on your page. And that's what you want. Yeah. And the funny thing is, this one character I'm writing, I do, I mean, I've I've done most of it. Not all of it. Like, I don't have, like, favorite quote on this guy. Um, But maybe I should actually fill out the expanded character profile, because I have a cut-down version of this profile that I use. Um, And... Maybe I should do a much more in-depth profile on him so that he resonates in my head more than he does now. But I think I do think part of the lack of resonance is lack of time, and I could get that through writing more works with him, or I could get that through writing more of a profile with him, or I could even just sit down and brainstorm little life snippets. A technique that I used to use when I was when I was younger and um, a little more romantic. <laughs> I actually, when I was very young, I used to write letters to myself from my character. Huh. I would write letters to me from my character's point of view. Um, and I would tell me all about myself, all about my character. I would, my character would tell... Tell me about themselves through this letter format, and I would have I would write pages of just letters to myself from the character, 
childhood experiences, um, their thoughts on politics. You just, you know, I, I wrote myself letters. What are their goals? Do they want to fall in love? Who's their perfect person? What's their What's their dream girl look like? What's their favorite perfume? You know, like part of me is charmed, and the, like part of me is making a face. And I can see why you would say when I was younger and more romantic, because it does have that right. Not romance with yourself kind of vibe, but it does have that kind of yeah. vibe of like really getting to know someone. And I'm like, I'm an impatient bitch. I'm, you know, I've passed 45 now. I am. Um, I don't have patience for anything anymore. <laughs> Much less writing characters, letters to myself. So it's like it's a weird kind of reaction because I'm like, huh, that's an interesting experiment. It's really charming. And the other half of me is like, fuck that. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not very romantic anymore. I haven't done it in years. Exactly, I'm not. If you're having problems connecting with your character, that it might be worth exploring. Yeah. So for OCs that you reuse, do you keep the same basic characters and modify superficial information for a particular plot? Yes, I do. I do keep the same basic information for all my characters. For instance, Thaddeus Banner is a parcel mouth in every single thing he's in. Whether he reveals it or not is up for discussion, but he's always, always a parcel mouth. Um, Even in the one where he's a sentinel, he's also a parcel mouth. Uh, He um, is always going to end up with Piper. Even if he's not currently married, he will will be married and it will be Piper. (laughs) His son's always going to be named Jamie. Um, And... uh, he is, you know, so so the, the, there are just things about him. He's always been a, he's always a curse breaker, whether he works for Greg Knox or not, um, whether or not he's with the bank or you know he works at the ministry. He's a curse breaker, um, and so yeah, it just keeps when when you keep them with the same details, it it helps solidify the character in your brain, so you don't end up with four or five versions of a single character because that's crazy cakes. Yeah, I I do I reuse characters in a similar role. Like there's not many Harry Potter characters I can think of that would cross the streams into my I say this, but then I have will probably break my own rule. But there aren't many characters that would cross the streams into like NCIS that I that I the OCs cause I created a bunch of OCs for Slytherin Black. I can't see any of them making it into um like an NCIS story. Um in a non-Harry Potter role. They're attached to the Harry Potter thing. They're attached to the magical world. Now, I might, like, change some details about, like, you know, when so-and-so became a war mage to fit a different story, but they would still be a war mage. They would still be a wizard, that whole deal. Um, and, like, the same is true it's... with OCs I've created in, on, the, on the contemporary like, crime drama side. Um, being called by the SGC because they got a cursed problem off-world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's him. But that's him functioning in, in his role in Harry Potter. He's not suddenly a marine. Right. No, no. That's no, what no, I mean no, by no, I wouldn't. No, 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 I wouldn't. No, 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 no. They kind of function in their roles. And so the only time right. I would see a character from the that I created for Harry Potter in an NCIS story is if it was a Harry Potter NCIS crossover. Which right. I've done like I've done that. I've done that in one short or two short. I did in two shorts. Um, I always forget about the beheading short. Um, 
So if if I've created somebody to be a magical, they they're magical. Now, like I said, I might change some details to make them fit better in a different story, but they're still going to be magical. Um, like I made my I have Mike Wepler in one story as he left the Navy and he became an NCIS agent. And in another story, I have him staying in, but he was a Marine instead, and he became a general and stayed and went career military. But I didn't feel like the application of his character was actually any different, and he had the same spouse and all of that kind of stuff. I like Mike, too. I'm looking forward to seeing Mike again. <clears throat> Yeah, I really like Seth and Mike. Uh, they're the they're the two main OCs. I actually, the funny thing was, I um, yeah, it was funny that Beth was the character that um, that that stuck out better for me of of all. Of, but I didn't get a lot of writing time with the other two OCs that I created. I had more on screen time with Beth. So Beth and Mike really went up sticking out for me, and I. I've enjoyed getting to use Beth is really easy for me to plug in when I'm writing Mothership because if she's if it's my headcanon that she's the special agent in charge in Honolulu, which is what I did with her in De Novo, um, then if I ever have Tony going to Hawaii, well, she's right there, and I don't have to create somebody in charge of the um, the office there. So that wound up being convenient. <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. But if I were to apply Mike in different different kinds of roles or whatever, I would still give him a military background, and if he didn't stay military, he would go in some form of law enforcement. So I would keep that. I wouldn't suddenly have him be a scientist, you know, because it would be difficult for me to. Ex- he wouldn't feel like the same character to me if I put him in a completely different context. But I, I thought I could tweak him a little bit and still reuse him um, to better fit the need of that plot, as long as it's somewhat in line with, um, you know, military that became law enforcement or still military. I tried to write um, an AU. And I believe it's actually on EAD. I tried to write an AU where um, all my SGA characters were in the FBI, and they were a BA unit, BAU unit. Um, mm-hmm. That would be and, an old-fashioned um, Yeah, and they were um, John. Rodney was a guy, and John was a Sentinel. And um, I, it was too much. It was too much change. I think I probably could have done it if I'd left the Sentinel guide out. John and Rodney as FBI agents, mm-hmm. the BAU thing. But the Sentinel element, and it was just like, that's too much. I oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah, because the Sentinel element, the Sentinel and guide element changes. It actually, it's a big pet peeve of mine with Sentinel and guide stories where it doesn't change the characters. Where they're sentinel or guide, and they're exactly the same. It's like that they've just the character would have to be somewhat different. Something's going to have to evolve for them. But yeah, I could see how doing a fusion. Um, 
there's a great fusion out there. Well, it's not exactly a fusion, but it's close. Um, out there by Sunrider called um, Fate Protects Fools, Small Children, and Ships Named Valor. And oh, I love that story. Sunrider has got some mad characterization skills because all of the characters completely fit in the role they were in. They made perfect sense in the role they were in in this Star Trek fusion. And yet they resonated completely as being a canon character too. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> it's like it it from a character's I mean it's a great story anyway. It's great plot, it's entertaining. Um it, it it's I'll fabulous open the shield. Oh. Yeah, the oak the oak and the ash. Um, the oak and the ash, yeah. If if you, I just I've never read anything like it from a characterization perspective because I've read a lot of fusions and a lot of crossovers and a lot of Sentinel stuff where I could see the adaptation of the characters sometimes more than others, but I've nothing I've ever seen read anything like that where I the adaptation was perfect and yet I could still see the canon character every single time. Um, it's just brilliant. So. Um, I don't know. I feel like that story is like a master class in characterization, uh, and you, you just—I really recommend anybody read it anyway. But if if how to evolve characters and make them fit in a new world is something you want to learn about, you should read that story. Thank you, Fick Ninja. The Oak and the Ash had me had me at hello. <laughs> yeah, it just that's that yeah, that story just I was Boom. all over that one. I was there. Oh I was like all in. I I didn't look up so it was over. Um I, and that, no, that honestly, story and I, that... Okay. Honestly what I think is when you're um when you're building original characters, um that um, if you're if you're strictly in fandom and you've never really explored that, I think the best way to start would be to kind of insert a background OC and, and work with them, um, and then eventually move yourself into a place where you're writing from an OC's point of view. Um, I'm doing it this for, for Rough Trade. Um, Sebastian is my is my OC, and um, uh, and I'm writing from his point of view. When I've rarely done that in the past, so it's it's weird. Um, but interesting, and I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. But um, I know a lot about him, you know, um, from the ground up. So his circumstances are a little bit different in finding Atlantis than they were in what might have been, because he never went into foster care, and that made a big difference. Um, but, uh, yeah, so if you're in fandom and you're – curious about how to go about it just just start with a background character someone that you can kind of move in and out of scenes and, and see how you feel about it I don't know that Cooper counts as a background character Lady Holder because when you broke her out of the gate she was the POV character yeah the first time we <laughs> first time I experienced her no. she was her story now you may have made her a background <laughs> character elsewhere, but but the first time I ever really connected with her, it was like boom, there she is, POV character. 
Um, yeah. So, but also I have a point, Pilot, where you can take characters that exist in canon who you don't know, like Blaze Zabini. Is that how you say it? Um, mm-hmm. Or Susan Bones. Um, to a large extent. Uh, Dean Thomas and Seamus Finnegan are, are so background that they barely exist. There's there's lots of room to develop them. Miko Kasanji in Stargate, there's practically nothing there. And so when you have nothing there, you have lots of room to develop and maneuver with a character who's canon, but you have very little information for them. Now, I tend to have... Some some body of original characters in most of my stories, but not all. Some stories wind up having such a big canon cast that there's not really room for OCs. Um, I do have in my in in my rough trade work for this month. I do have two OCs playing a fairly significant role, but. They'll never be from their point of view, but they are OCs that I've used several times in the past. Um, so they weren't difficult for me to jump right in and work with because I've already used them before. And I do think, I was going to say, maybe I should be working with character OCs that I haven't worked with before, but on the other hand... Um, I do think there's something to getting really into and get comfortable with the character. Now that's something I could, I was just thinking that's something I could do with original work is basically rename an OC that I already know. Um, I wouldn't use a fan fiction character in an original work, but I could use, I mean like a fandom character, but I could use characters I've created and just give them a different name. Somebody that I already know kind of inside and out because I've worked with them before. Feels a little bit strange, but they're already mine. I already created them, so <laughs> although they that's your shit. Although they couldn't be a <laughs> wizard. <what> <laughs> they couldn't be a wizard though. Yeah. Or a sentinel or a guy. Um I think that yeah, I mean whatever gets you through your moment and and what whatever gets you through your rough draft. And then you could always refine your character um, and flesh them out in your second draft to make them a better fit. And that's for that's for getting feedback from somebody you trust helps. Is you know I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to, um, when I finish the story, I, I'm going to throw it right at Kira's head and say, give me feedback on these characters. <laughs> <laughs> be honest. <laughs> it won't be very long. It won't take, it'll take her. She'll probably do it. She'll just like snap her fingers and be able to go, we need a little bit more of this. <laughs> a little bit more of this and maybe some of this. Because everything is better yeah, than sprinkles. Then, <laughs> everything is better than sprinkles. Um <laughs> <laughs> and blow jobs. <laughs> I actually, weirdly, in the last chapter of Demons, I had a characterization issue that wasn't the characterization issue I thought it was. Um, 
it, it was not so much an issue of – I thought it was a characterization issue of where I was, but it actually wound up being more of a something else entirely. Like I, I wrote Kira and I said, this, this, I feel like I've got a characterization issue here potentially with Jarvis of all people. Um, and Kira read it and said, I actually think it's missing some context about Tony and not so much a character issue here. And I was like, oh. oh well, I rambled I, at I her half asleep. Because I, I woke up to potty, because as Sebastian says, in either this part coming up or the part last I wrote, that a full bladder is is sleep, is, is a sleep's enemy. Um, Indeed. Most profound enemy. Indeed. Yeah, for real. Yeah, so that was I, recent part. I had a file pending, and I was like, holy shit. So I clicked on it. <laughs> and then I, I read it, and then I like... I spewed at her in half asleep, and then I woke up later and did it again. And then by the time I got up officially, she'd already posted. <laughs> well, but she was right about what was wrong, so I just wrote the missing scene <laughs> and posted it. So, so even asleep, I'm quite handy. <laughs> she is. But yeah, when I finished this um, original story, which I'm working on every day, not a lot because, like I said, I'm in this weird, uncomfortable space with it um, that I don't really understand. Oh, I'm trying to get some clarity around. But when I finish it, I'm definitely going to be throwing it at her and saying, are they as flat as they feel? <laughs> and if they are, I will fix it because it is fixable. It's all fixable. Yeah, just write it, then you can fix it. But sometimes more sexier um, is not always a solution. <laughs> uh, more sexier is not a characterization solution, <laughs> usually. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. But it should always be an option. <laughs> well, it it should be an option, but it's not going to make a character more well-rounded unless they've been. But what I will say is that sometimes, um, like Julie had with her story, is that you think you've got one problem, but you've really got another. And what you do need is an outside perspective. Mm. But it, it needs to be a perspective that you can trust not to throw you completely off the rails. Very true. Very true. Um, and also on that point is that when someone's at, you know, um, I know it's a little trend. Talk about it a little bit. Um, when someone asks you for help in the public areas of um, the Just Right Forum, and you guys move into um, take it seriously, be serious about it. Um, because for me, when I'm having a serious problem, a problem that's so serious that I ask for help, the last thing I want is to see 10, 15 people throw a whole bunch of crack ideas at me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just be serious about it. When 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 someone speaks up, okay, I've got this problem. I need a little help. Um, take it seriously because uh, for a lot of people, just asking for help is really difficult, and you don't need to exasperate that by um, not taking their question seriously. And that's the implication is when you're going off the rails and um, just not really 
getting there with their question if you're too busy talking about I don't know what <laughs> building a jungle gym or something um, that's not helping them that's not taking them seriously and they might be inclined not to ask for help again I'm not yeah, trying to get your mom just I'd be a, I would be a very cruel parent. <laughs> or know who you're talking to. Because some authors want the whack, wacky, crazy salute, you know, thing. But you need to, before you kind of go that direction, you need to know that that's where that author is. I never take that approach personally because most of the people who are coming to me for help aren't, aren't looking for me to be um, clever and funny about the help I give them. So, and I, this is not just something I've seen in the in our servers. I've seen it on Facebook chats. I've seen it in on Facebook discussions. I've seen it in over on MeWe. Um, and it becomes a little bit like there was one day I was reading something. Um, like I was reading through a chat thread, and um, it was like the help suggestions had become a one-upmanship amongst the people doing the help about who could come up with the wackiest idea for solving this problem. And when I felt when I like when I found the original question, it wasn't a question that was served by something out 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 there and crazy. And the author had stopped responding, um, other than an uh huh or sure that's cute. Fairly early on, because the suggestions were so out there, and I could just say that it's very frustrating. I've had this experience when you're having a very serious moment when you really don't know what to do. And you're with a group of people, and it just goes off the rails. And it really does. It can get very disheartening, even though they're the people who are trying to help you don't mean to dishearten you. But it can be very disheartening because it will feel like in that moment that your craft is not being taken seriously. Um, so just just bear that in mind, because I know that every single author who offers to help somebody or who jumps in to help somebody solve a plot problem um, wants to be helpful. Um, and it, it's just, I would just, as you know, consider bearing in mind, like figure out what the person really needs. And if you want to be helpful, stay on task. Stay on what they need. And that's, that's the advice. And always, always don't be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't say I almost never I almost never need crack help because A, I don't write a lot of crack, but B, um when I do we have write ads. cracky stuff <laughs> well, I've got ads for that, that's true. But when I do write cracky stuff, I usually don't need any help getting that out on my own. Um it happens in, yeah. It happens in the middle it happens in the middle of the night. And everybody wakes up and goes, "What happened to her last night?" <laughs> we don't know. It's a mysterious thing. But he's, um, but he remains very adaptable. Yeah. Um, I will say, without a doubt, that Julie definitely incented me because you is she. You was a girl. Yeah, girl. You is female. You is definitely a girl. And um. And Claire has incepted me with three Claudia. Um, Take and, Cannon um, accepted. 
Yeah, so there, you know, but some but some ideas are like crack taken seriously, and it's like we're working on this unicorn relay thing, and we have had some very cracky conversations. I will I will totally admit that our conversations have been wackadoodle with all capital letters sometimes about that relay, but it's because the idea conceptually is cracky, but part of our guidelines is that the actual writing needs to be cracked taken seriously because otherwise they won't gel together. You know, if, if in one um, story Tony is suddenly abducted by Martians um, or he's suddenly sorted to Hogwarts, it's just not going to gel as a series. So we laugh and make fun and um, we're coming up with really bizarre story titles uh, because the concept is is a little bit cracky, but you know we're, we're trying to take the actual implementation of it seriously, and so that's important to know when somebody what somebody's intention with their writing is. It's because some ideas are cracky on the you know kind of they're kind of a little bit cracky when you hear them, but then when the person is implementing it, because to me, if I just said to somebody, Tony Dinozo is Steve Rogers' grandson, that sounds cracky, doesn't it? Yes. It was the implementation crafty? No. No. It was hot at occasion, but, but it there wasn't are cracky. other there are other cracked moments in that story too that could be cracky, like the part where Tony's part tree. <laughs> yes, that that did have yeah. And the thing is yeah. the thing is I do the, the characters actually carry the crack on that because they all make fun of it, right? Um, yeah, it's like telling him he needs to go get some sun. I mean, <laughs> that is that is that is characters poking fun at each other, right? So, have um, you photosynthesized today? I think it's important. Have you? <laughs> yeah, Hydra made Superman is probably one of my favorite lines in a story I've ever written. So, um, you know, it's just it sometimes it you kind of. Funny things creep into your story that are crafty, even if the story is overall not. But I think that that blend is can make a story really well balanced. But again, this is one of those things. It's like if somebody's sorting, trying to sort out how Harry and Hermione are going to get married in ritual, and you're trying to help them, and all of a sudden the conversation ten minutes later has Minerva flying to the moon to get a moon rock on a broom. You know, she flies to the moon on a broom to get a moon rock. Something has gone off the rails here, and the advice is probably not helpful, which is fine. Go off in another room and talk about, you know, how magical people are going to settle on the moon or why you would need moon rock in a ritual or how that would ever even come up. You know, go have that conversation. But if somebody's asking for help. Now, I'm sitting here thinking, sure. could a really powerful wizard summon a moon rock? And if they could, would it not. make it to a reentry? They'd have to cast a protective spell over it long, long range, right? I mean, would they be summer, summoning a meteor? And then, well, you wouldn't want to be too big of a meteor that people might notice. But I think, like, if you had a telescope that was powerful enough that you could see the surface of the moon and you could cast it. This is ridiculous. See? <laughs> see? So the, but the point is, if somebody's asked for serious help, and somehow you're summoning <laughs> asteroids from space, it you may have gone off the rails about what this person needed help with. But 
<laughs> yeah, would it impact the moon's orbit? Maybe. Harry, I don't think you. <laughs> Speaking of, don't Jilly said. Don't summon the actual Jilly had, moon. Jilly had said that um, that going to Hogwarts or being a witch basically would be is almost to Atlantis, and I said being a witch would be cooler than going to Atlantis, and so we were kind of. She was not buying it. I could, I, I could, I could see her, her, what the fuck ever face from where I was across the country, um, and I was like, "What did I say?" You said Akio Coffee. That changed your mind. <laughs> That's what you said. And I said, "You're right. Hogwarts is way cooler, as long as you're a witch and you can summon your coffee." I was sold right there. Coffee summoning. Better yet, coffee conjuring. <laughs> all I need that's how, that's if, how you have an argument but, with Jilly but if I am not magical you are sending my ass to Atlantis I'm going to science the fuck out of the universe <laughs> see Edie's comment <laughs> I can't even oh. read that. she says there's now amendment in a magical society legislation against summoning asteroids. Remember what happened to the dinosaurs? <laughs> that really tickled me, Edie. Thank you. <laughs> That's so wrong on so many levels. I can't even. I'm pondering, pondering, creating, based on something somebody set up above, and I can't even find it again. Um... um a plot room. If over you could on the conjure right food server. that was calorie and carb free, you would starve to death. <laughs> but I could have all the cheesecake I wanted and then go have a real meal with like some vegetables and some fish. Anyway, I'm thinking about making a chat room for when our for when you guys need to get completely wackadoodle. Um called the room of requirement. <laughs> I think you should call it the crack house. That's just me. <laughs> There you go, the crack house. Okay. Let us and I'll put it. I'll put it in the channel description. Let us know if you need an intervention. <laughs> we'll no make Azure the channel. Mo- we'll make Azure the channel admin so that you know <laughs> she can get as cracktastic as she wants. She can. She can. We can. She can create a mod role called the crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> No, I would never there. have it. Let's not. Um, yes, I I have not read those books, but if I could snap my fingers for coffee, I would. It would be, I'd be snapping all the time. I'd just lay here in the morning. I'd wake up, roll over, and snap my oh, fingers. <laughs> Is that enough for the next hour? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Wait, does it stay hot? I might need to the cracked plot. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love it. So, Lady Holder says we sound like the Adams Family intro. So I'm just gonna be sitting here snapping my fingers, going, oh. "Yeah, dark." I would say that exactly the same kind of situation of she shall not be named. 
Um, it's just not a good idea to discuss that person. It's very polarizing in fandom. Um, it's just not a good idea. Let's just not go there. <clears throat> you better bring me a cup. It just just coffee's not useful to me. Um, unless I need to condition my hair or something. No, Edie, I got my hair cut today. And my husband says, I see you've gotten the old lady, the the the, the old white lady haircut. And I was like, what in the... fuck you. <laughs> what is the old white lady haircut? It is not an old white lady haircut. Let me show you what it is. I bet you I'm about to see a stacked bob. You are about to see a stacked bob, but kind different. A little different. I don't think of that as an old white lady haircut, but I was going to say, I bet you that's what I'm about to see. To me, the old white lady yeah, haircut is is that one you get, you see with like either like politicians, politicians or politicians' wives from like the 80s, 70s and 80s, or, you know, that roller set that old ladies get that they leave for like a week. And then they go and get their hair washed and set again. My grandmother used to do that. Like every week she'd get a roller set. <sighs> I'm kind of horrified now. She had, it kind of freaked me out that she only had to wash it. She put those satin cap on to keep her curls, you know, in place <laughs> throughout the week. And, um, yeah, it, I was, like, horrified that she didn't wash her hair but once a week. And uh, and then somebody explained to me about, you know, how your skin gets so dry as you age. And I was like, huh. Yeah, to me that's the old white. When I think of old white lady haircuts, I'm thinking of that old lady roller set. That took my grandma to do every week for years. <laughs> Reaper calls it the Nana Do. <laughs> it is a Nana Do. This is a picture I showed the lady at the um, salon. Oh, that's nice. It, it, it's kind of like a modified stack bob, yeah. Very yeah. nice. And he probably had an old white lady haircut? Yeah, he did. But it's because he doesn't like he's even short hair. And he wants me to grow my hair long, and I'm not going to ever do that. So, um, no. I'll be like, has he seen any old white ladies? Because he may need to refresh the sample pool. I wash my hair every day. If I don't, you could drill for oil on my head. I could probably like put gas in my car from my hair. <laughs> I I had I had oily hair when I was oily scalp when I was younger, but it's dry now. I I can't wash it but twice a week. Really? No, I'm I'm still <laughs> at that point where I have to wash my hair every day, or it's like an oil slick. I give you the roller set. <laughs> there you go. Old yeah, white yeah. lady hair. Well, I like it, and that's all that counts. I'm not that woman who cut, who um, lets her man decide what her hair is going to look like. If I did, I'd be able to sit on my hair. Yeah, I like I like age. the bob. 
I like I, I like a nice stacked bob. I had that for years. Can't stack my bob anymore. It's still a bob. I can't stack it anymore because I have half my head shaved. There's no there's nothing <laughs> <to> stack. <laughs> there's no stacking going on. Does your ear get cold? Your other one? Your free one? Your ragged one? No, it's not. It's not one half. Um, one half or the other. It's not asymmetrical. It's um, the lower half, all the way around. Ah. Do your ears get cold? <laughs> uh, actually, you know, if my hair's down, people can't tell I've got my head shaved. I've got a ridiculous amount of oh. hair, so no, no, my hair, my ears are covered if I want them to be. My hair is shoulder length, but I usually wear it in a ponytail, so just very visible. Oh yeah, I, I, it, my 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 half bald head is is out very out there. Yeah, I think even like three days out, my head would be flammable. <laughs> Even without chemicals in it, it's just like craziness. So no. So like tomorrow, if I want to leave my house, I have to wash my hair. Otherwise, you know, I'll be out in public with greasy hair, and I just that's just not something that I would do. <laughs> Ball cap. First of all, um, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Um, I used to have to wash my hair every day. And this was back when I had hair down to my butt. I had to wash it every day. And, I mean, that was work, man. <laughs> that was work. I do have some dry shampoo. It's not the best option for me, but it'll do in a pinch. Yeah, it has to be a very tight pinch for me to go that route if my hair is dirty. Like, oh, the if, man. I had if I had to, surgery. Like, if I had to wash my hair tomorrow afternoon and, like, one of my family members was in a car accident and I had to go to the ER, I'd be willing to use dry shampoo <laughs> instead of getting in the shower. When I had major, I had major surgery well, in my 20s at some point, and um, they told me it would be, like, a week to 10 days before I'd be able to shower, like, really get in the shower. And... um. It was about the point where I was supposed to be able to start taking a shower when my my incision split. It split open. Oh, and no shower. That was it was terrible because that when it splits like that, they have to just let it heal from the inside out. It was, it was awful. Um. Anyway, not to gross you out, but I I was like I can't I can't do this I can't I, you tell me I can't I can't shower again because I've just been like sponge bath and I was fine with the body but my hair was a hot mess right, and they're telling me that I could you know. I, they said I could wash my hair in the sink, could. But when you've had open heart surgery, you do not want to wash your hair in the sink. Fuck that. No, that is not comfortable. So uh, I just went to the salon like every other day, and I went in. I looked in so pathetic. I looked so pathetic. And I was like, would you wash my hair? <laughs> and they were so nice. I'd have been like, go in and... I'd be like, I'd have been there on day four. Like, I can't take a shower because I had open heart surgery. You need to wash my head for me. <laughs> Well, I have to admit, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like moving for that first ten days. You know, it was like cause yeah, I was in the hospital yeah. for a week, and then the first three days at yeah. home, I was like, I'm perfectly fine with not moving. 
But then I was like, I'm I'm going when it when it split. I was like, I, I had my mom stop at the salon on the way home. I was like, we gotta stop and get my hair washed. I can't deal with this. I don't care how awful I feel. Yeah, I think they had those kinds of things. At least nobody told me about them or whatever. I don't know. It was it was it was bad juju. But I was it's actually really nice to go into the salon every other day and get them to wash my long ass hair, and um, they were just really sweet to me. It became a very relaxing kind of thing really good for me at that time because um, I was home healing for like six weeks from that but yeah it was I gotta say I love getting my head washed by somebody else I love that oh yeah it's great yeah that is getting your hair washes I'm all down for that as long as they do as long as they don't do a shitty job of rinsing that's that's no good I have had um I'm I'm I actually use uh just to answer kind of like a, just kind of to push it a question, and it's a, a, a statement that's in the chat room about depression and um, not showering. Um, I have suffered clinical depression, like, oh, essentially since I was a teenager. Um, I probably would have been diagnosed earlier if they did that kind of thing to children. Um, and one of the ways that I manage my depression is that I force my to shower. There is no excuse it's viable on second shower. When I broke my foot, I wrapped my foot up. <laughs> well, actually, the second time I didn't, I didn't have a I, – I, I just had an air cast. I, um, but when I had an actual plaster cast on my foot, um, I wrapped it in a garbage bag and I took a shower. There is absolutely no excuse whatsoever for not taking a shower in my world because I, cause with depression, it can, yeah, you're right. It can, it can make you not want to do a damn thing, including washing your own body. So um, it's just something that I, no matter how bad I feel, even if I just get up, go shower, and then go back to bed, I still take a shower is the one thing that I force myself to do because depression can make you not give a shit. Yeah. But, medica- but, but medication helps too. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta draw your line and, 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 and stick to it. Whatever that, whatever that line is for you. Some people's line will be, they got to leave the house every day. Mine would be closer to being in the shower than leaving the house, but it depends upon how your um, Depression hits you, you know. So figure out what you're saying. Yeah, I take and stick to it. I take um, Lexapro. I'm starting a new one in addition to Lexapro, um, but I've heard good things about Wellbutrin. So, um, I, you know, but uh, if your brain doesn't make the chemicals that you need, it's perfectly okay to buy them. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, Sam's cookie. Um, door bought is fine. That is right. Uh, it's just it's, um, but yeah, and I, you know also um, writing helps a lot with with depression for me too. Um, but I I do have little tricks to keep myself. Um, but I don't have to leave my house every day. That's not really a thing for me. I mean I don't have to force myself to leave. If I have to go somewhere, I go. But um, I do make myself take a shower every single day to, to the point where it's just a, an ingrained habit. So if I did have a depressive episode, I think I could push through without that being an issue. Because it can be a big issue for people. 
And there's nothing, there's, yeah. you know, don't be ashamed of it. It's just, it's just, that's one of the things that, that happens with depression is that you can. Now, I will say there are, there are a lot of articles out there about how, and it's pretty easy to find, about who, how Americans bathe too much. So if you're not of the daily bathing variety, figure out what your bathing routine is and just stick to it if you have a depression issue. you got to find your sweet spot. If it's every other day, get in the shower every other day. Don't let yourself slip because self-care is one of the first things to go when you're depressed. When you're depressed. Right. Yeah, wash your face. And, yeah. Wash your butt. Brush your teeth. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no excuse now, but you got to brush your teeth at least once every 24 hours. That is dental hygiene basics. At least once every 24 hours. Got to brush your and teeth. And wash your butt. So, <laughs> and wash your butt. Brush the teeth, wash the butt. But um, they, they've done some studies that, especially if you got drier skin, that what, bathing every day could be detrimental and could actually cause, like, skin problems as you age and infections and stuff. And that if it wasn't for America, they wouldn't even know this stuff. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, just you but, know, so just figure figure out figure out your rhythm. Yeah, but establishing a routine is very good for you if you have depression. It it, it really gets me through days when I don't want to do anything. You know, so yeah, definitely don't brush your butt or your vagina. And <laughs> we're gonna leave that with no context. Oh yeah, we definitely don't want oh. context on that. Say good night, Julie. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Thank you.